Welcome to Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall. On one occasion when I was pastoring in Baxley, Georgia, I was doing some visitation in that very rural community in which I was pastoring. Wonderful church there. We built a new church plant. Had a wonderful ministry at Midway Baptist Church in Baxley, Georgia. I kind of enjoyed really visiting with those folks for many different reasons. They were very friendly and they were my church family and I love them very greatly. But also they were a lot of, a lot of them were farmers. And so when I would go out and visit, I would come home with a whole back seat full of vegetables and all kinds of stuff that they give the preacher. So I really enjoyed that part of it. Uh, they really kept us in, in vegetables and all kinds of things at Baxley, at the Midway Baptist Church. I was visiting on one occasion, and I stopped uh, at a particular house, and the family was out on the front porch just enjoying a, a nice evening, and uh, they had a little granddaughter who was out playing in the, the yard of the house, and I got out and said something to the little granddaughter and uh, asked her how she was doing. And, and it was a, a little hot on that day, so I had left the window down on my car. So I go up on the front porch and I'm talking to this particular family. And about 10 minutes later, the little girl came running up on the porch and she was all excited. She, she was just jumping around and antsy and and she was trying to tell us something, and finally she got it out, and she said, Mama, the cat got in, the cat got in, the cat got in the Godman's car. <laughs> she had a little cat, and the cat jumped up into my car, you know, so. But uh, I, was, I thought about that later. She called me the Godman, you know. That was the way she communicated it. Well, I, I've been called a lot worse, you know, a God-man, a man of God. In this passage, Paul challenges Timothy to be a man of God. Now, you know, of all the things that can be said about a man, I don't think none is more important than for a man to be known as a man of God. What greater thing can be said about a man than this, that he is a man of God. Now, usually when we hear that term, a man of God, we usually think a man of God as being a preacher, being a pastor, being a minister. But in reality, the Bible teaches us that every Christian man is to be a man of God. And so I wanted to take a look this morning at what it takes for men to be a man to be a man of God. So let me share with you something from the scripture that helps us to understand. I want to be known as a man of God. You know, when I'm in glory, after I have followed and finished my race here on, on this earth, I want whoever follows me, my grandchildren and those who might, might uh, uh, follow me in, in my family when they think about me, I, my prayer is that one of the first things they, that they think about is that he was a Christian man, that he was a man of God. I can't think of a greater legacy to leave to your family. 
than for a man to leave to his family. This, this statement and this acknowledgement from them that he truly was a man of God. So what does it take to be a man of God? Well, first of all, the man of God is a saved man. Being a man of God begins when a man makes the decision, the most important decision there is in life, makes the decision to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. I have done that. I did that many years ago. God brought me under conviction. He made it very clear to me that he wanted me to come to him. And uh, I've shared that story with you before. And he came to visit me in my heart and in my mind and in my spirit. And there came a point and a time in my life when I said, yes, I do. I do repent of my sin. And I do believe in Jesus. Believe in in who he is and what he's done for me. And I do receive him. I, I surrender my life to him and receive him as my savior and as my Lord. No man can be a man of God who is not a saved man. And so I would give this challenge to every man and every woman and every person present today. If you have not made that decision, the most important decision you can make in your life, if you have not made that decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I encourage you, I encourage you, I implore you to use a term that the Bible uses. I implore you today to make that decision, to make that commitment, to say that today you will say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will receive him as your savior and the Lord of your life. And if you don't know how to do that, then I would be happy to share with you how to do that. The decision to follow Jesus Christ will change your life. It will change who you are. It's God who does the changing. And the decision to follow Jesus Christ will change your life now. Change the course of your life. Change the direction of your life. It will change your life making that decision. And not only will giving your life to Christ change your life now, it will change your life for all eternity. It will change your eternal destiny. There is no more important decision than this decision. I will give my life to Jesus Christ. And your decision to follow Christ will not only make a difference in your life, but it will make a difference in the lives of other people as well. Your decision to give your life to Christ will make a difference in the life of your family, in the life of your loved ones, in the life of your friends, in the life of everyone you meet and associate with. And so I would encourage you, if you've never given your life to Christ, do it today. Do it now. Do it today. Give your life to Christ. To be the man of God that God would have you to be, you have to be a saved man. Second of all, the man of God is a spirit-filled man. To be the man of God that God would have us to be, a man must be a man who is, on a consistent basis, a spirit-filled, spirit-controlled man. Now, there's nothing hocus-pocus about that. There's nothing weird about that. Here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within us when we give our life to Christ. 
And the Holy Spirit of God comes to help us. He is our friend. He is our guide. He is our comforter. He is our helper. He comes to help us to live the Christian life. God doesn't save us and then leave us to our own resources to live the life that he wants us to live. He gives us mighty resources to enable us to live the Christian life that God would have us to live. And one of the greatest resources of all is the presence of God himself in our life, the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible teaches that every day, every single day, we are to consciously, through prayer and through our commitment, to yield control of our life to the Holy Spirit who lives within us. To say to the Holy Spirit, I know you are in my life and today I want to yield who I am and all that I am to you. I want you to control who I am today. What I think, how I feel, how I act, how I react. I want you to be in charge of my life today. Holy Spirit, I want to be a Spirit-filled man. And as you do that on a consistent basis, and you don't just... Do that once. You do it every day. And sometimes more than once a day. You you pray, Holy Spirit, I'm struggling today. I have a co-worker that if you would let me, I would like to kill them today. They are aggravating me so much. But I know that's not the Christian thing to do. And so I ask you, Holy Spirit, to help me. Help me to be a Christian in how I act and how I react. And as daily you yield control of your life to the Holy Spirit, He'll help you to grow as a Christian. He'll help you to mature as a Christian. He will empower you to be able to serve the Lord. He'll empower you to be able to share the Lord with other people, to live the Christian life that God would have you to live. I want to be a godly man, a man of God. You want to be a man of God. So. How can we be men of God? Well, a man of God is a saved man. He's a spirit-filled man. Thirdly, the man of God is a man of prayer. To be the man of God that God would have you to be, you must be a man who prays. Let me tell you this, as a Christian, and this is true for men, women, children, young people who are Christians, as a Christian, The greatest spiritual battle you will have with Satan in your life will be in the area of your prayer life. Satan will always do everything he can to keep you from praying. Your flesh, he will incite your flesh, that old residue of the lost life that is still within you as saved as you are. He will incite the flesh. He will incite the world. He will do everything he can to keep you from having a consistent, ongoing, growing prayer life. Because Satan knows this. If he can keep us from praying on a consistent basis, he can hinder us in our Christian growth. He can hinder us in our usefulness to God. He can make us more vulnerable to temptation. So Satan will do everything he can to keep you as a Christian from being a person of prayer. Here is an axiom. An axiom is something that is true and it's always true. Here is an axiom of the Christian life. Your Christian life will go no deeper than your prayer life. If your prayer life is shallow, If your prayer life is superficial, if your prayer life is sporadic, then your Christian life is going to be shallow 
and superficial and sporadic. Uh, my grandson really has gotten into fishing, you know? And so I, the last time we were there, I went with him fishing. And, you know, he's, he's really into that thing now, with, you know, catching bass and all that kind of stuff. I'm a pole fisher kind of guy, you know? Just give me a pole, give me a shade, give me some gnat repellent, let me sit down a little bit, and give me a bobber, you know, a bobber, and I'll throw it out there, and I'm content. That's the kind of fisherman I am. Uh, it, another description of that kind of fisherman is being a lazy fisherman. <laughs> I'm a lazy fisherman. I don't want to work at it too much. But you know, to determine how deep your bait goes, you use the bobbin. If you wanted to go shallow, you put the bobbin shallow on your line. If you want to go deeper, you put it up. That's your prayer life. If you want to go deep with the Lord, you've got to have a good, sufficient prayer life. You've got to have an ongoing prayer life. A lot of men struggle with prayer. They don't feel like they have time to pray. They don't feel like, you know, they know how to pray. A lot of, of men, and not just men, but all kinds of Christians struggle with prayer. You know how to learn how to pray? You pray. You pray. That's how you learn how to pray. You just talk to your Heavenly Father. And you, you, you bring your petitions uh, to Him. I, I've been a Christian a long time. I'm still learning how to pray. And I'm still not satisfied with my prayer life. But if you want to be the man of God, a man of God, the man of God that God would have you to be, you must be a man of prayer. Fourthly, the man of God is one who reads and studies and obeys his Bible. Colossians 3.16 says that we are to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. Now, in the original context, that was spoken to a church. Paul was challenging the church at Colossae. Don't make the Bible in, in your church life just something over here in the corner. Give the Bible a big room. Let the, let the word of God dwell richly in you. Literally, he was saying, give the word of God a big room, a big place, a prominent place in the life of your church. It is vital. It is important that the word of God be the center and the guide and the director of all that you do as a church. Well, what is true for a church is also true for Christian people as well. To be the man of God that God would have you to be, you must be a lifelong student of the word of God. You must give the Bible, a big place, a prominent place in your life. That means that to be the man of God that God would have you to be, you need to read your Bible. I'm, I'm reading the Bible. I've read it through 29 times. I'm on 30. I've just read all the Gospels. Now I'm into the New Testament. Then I'm going to go back to the Old Testament. And I want to read it and I want to study it and I want to understand it. There are a lot of good books that I've read. I read them one time, I'm done. I don't want to read them again. I know the plot. I know what's happening. I know what has happened. So I'm done. I don't need to read it again. The Bible, I need to read it over and over and over again. Because while the Bible never changes, I do change. And every time I read the Word of God, God speaks to me through those pages. And I learn something different about Him. I learn something different about me. And I hide the Word of God in my heart so that I can have a godly mindset of how to live in this world. If you want to be the man of God that God would have you to be, 
you need to wear out a Bible. Need to wear out a Bible? And then go get you another one. Be someone who reads the Word of God. Develop that habit. Develop that place, that time daily in your life when you're going to read the Word of God. To be the man of God that God would have you to be, you must be forever growing in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word. But it's not just good enough to read the Word of God or to study the Word of God. We almost also must obey the Word of God. James 1.22, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Be doers of the Word, not just hearers, but be a person who obeys the Word of God. And you say, well, there are parts of the Bible that's hard for me to understand. Well, join the club. Me too. I mean, there's parts of the Bible that are very challenging. All parts of the Bible are inspired But not every part of the Bible is equal in its inspiration to us and how it speaks to us. But every part of the Word of God is vital and important for us to read and try to understand. And listen, God has given us a lot of resources to help us to understand the Word of God, including yours truly and Sunday school teachers, study Bibles and all of that. Be a person who reads the Word of God, studies the Word of God. Make that a habit in your life. And God's word will speak to you and strengthen you and help you. You take this combination, the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us and the word of God that we read. You put that together, make those elements prominent in your life and you will be a growing Christian. So the man of God is one who reads and studies and obeys the word of God. Also, here's the next element. The man of God is a man who worships God. A man who worships, without exception, all of the great and the, and the godly men of the Bible were men of worship. Worship was a priority in their life. Worship was important to them. Worship was something that they practiced, not just one day out of the week, but every day out of the week. They knew how to worship. They were men who were, who were committed to worshiping God. They worshiped God publicly. They worshiped God privately. The great and godly men of the Bible were men of worship. And if you want to be the man of God that God would have you to be, you must be a man of worship. A man who daily comes before the Lord and just thanks Him for who He is. Thanks Him for His goodness and grace to you. Man who comes before the Lord and praises his name and honors him and glorifies him. You can do that in your, your private prayer time. You can do that while you're driving down the road. And I, do, I pray often while I'm driving and, and worship the Lord often uh, during those times. To be the man of God that God would have you to be, you must be a man who worships God every day. And worships God on the Lord's day. The godly men of the Bible worshiped God when life was good. And they worshiped God when life was not so good. The godly men of the Bible worshiped God when they were on the mountaintop of spiritual experiences. They worshiped God when they were in the valley of despair and troubles and trials. Paul and Silas worshiped God when they were in prison. After they had been beaten and their hands and their feet were placed in stocks in the prison at midnight, the Bible says, they were singing hymns to the Lord. They worshiped God. 
They were not in that prison cell. Oh, woe is me. Why is this happening to me? Why is God punishing me? We were out there preaching and doing good and we wind up here in prison. They were not in there whining to God. They were praising the Lord and honoring him. No matter what was happening in their life. That's how you be a man of God. Daniel worshiped God when the king told him not to do so. And it almost cost him his life. But Daniel worshiped the Lord. These men worship God because that's what godly men do. That's what men of God do. They worship God when it's good, when it's not so good, when you can understand what's happening in life, when you can't understand what's happening in life. Job worshiped the Lord through all of his troubles and trials. Now, he had a lot of conversations with the Lord in trying to understand what was happening, but he never failed to worship the Lord, even when his wife, bless her heart, came to him and said, Job, curse God and die. Job said, I will not do that. I don't know what's happening and I don't know why it's happening, but I'm still going to worship my God. And I'm still going to honor him. If you want to be the man of God that God would have you to be, you must be a man of worship. God created us to worship him. And if you don't worship God, you're going to worship something. We've been created to worship God. But if you don't worship God, you're going to worship something. You're going to wind up worshiping yourself or money or your job or something like that. No, worship the Lord and honor Him. To be the man of God that God would have us to be, the man of God loves the church. The man of God loves the church. He supports the church. He's active in the church. He's involved in the life of the church and the ministry of the church and the mission of the church. The Bible says that Jesus loved the church. The Bible says that Jesus loved the church. Not just the church universal, but also the church made up of all of the congregations of the church. Jesus loved the church. Why do I love the church? Because Jesus loves the church. And he gave his life for it. If you're going to be the man of God that God would have you to be, then you must be a man who loves the church. Be active in the church, involved in the church, pray for the church, be there in the church and be supportive of the church and love your church. Don't run your church down. I've been in some, the presence of some men when they talk to their church and my word, I wouldn't go to that church if they paid me a bunch of money the way they talked about their own church. No, love your church, support your church. Build up your church. Be a part of the church. And when the doors are open, be there. You know, we used to have good old church members, old school church members, I call them, that when the doors were open, they were there. We need that again in church life. To be the man of God that God would have you to be, you must be a man who loves the church. To be the man of God that God would have you to be, there must be a desire in your life to pursue a holy life. In this passage, Paul told Timothy that for him to be the man of God that God would have him to be, there are certain things he must flee from and certain things he must follow after. He said, Timothy, old man of God, if you want to be the man of God that God would have you to be, there are certain things in life you must always be running from and certain things in life you must be always running after. 
The words translated flee and follow after in this passage are in the present tense. You say, well, what does that mean? It means it expresses continuous action. It's always something that's happening in the present. In other words, Paul said, Timothy, there are certain things that you must always be running from. And certain things you must be always be running after. So if you uh, want to be the man of God that God would have you to be, you need to be running away from things. What are those things? Well, it's sin. Running away from anything that's going to hinder your spiritual growth. Running away from anything that's going to hinder your fellowship with God. Running away from anything that will hinder your usefulness to the service of God. Running away from anything that's going to damage your testimony and your witness. I think about Joseph. Oh, Potiphar's wife, that old Jezebel, kept trying to run after that boy to get him to do something that he shouldn't do. Finally, one day she thought she had the upper hand. She thought she had him right where she, he, she wanted him to be so she could take advantage of him. You know what Joseph did in that moment of temptation? He ran. He ran. Now, men don't like to run away from nothing. We like to say that we're not afraid of anything. But I want to tell you something. If there's something coming in your life that's going to hinder your walk with the Lord and cause you to sin, you better run. And you need to run. And that's what Paul is saying in these verses. Don't, don't dabble with it. Don't play around with it. Don't hang around with it. Run from it. There are a lot of things we need to be running from. Staying away from. Having nothing to do with. If it's going to hinder your walk with the Lord. If it's going to poison your mind and poison your spirit. And make you vulnerable to sin. You don't play around with that stuff. You run away from it. Because you don't want to have that influence in your life. But Paul said, to be the man of God that God would have you to be, not only are we always to be running from evil, but we are always to be running after good and godly things. We're running from this, and we're pursuing this. Listen again to verse 11. But you, old man of God, flee these things. Run away from that old stuff that's going to hinder you in your walk with the Lord. And pursue, run after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. You see, the Christian life is not just about staying away from evil. The Christian life is about pursuing and running toward things that are good and godly. If the Christian life was just about staying away from evil, then every storefront mannequin would be a good Christian. Because every storefront mannequin is, not, mannequin is not involved with evil. No, the Christian life is not just about staying away from this. It's also about pursuing this, running after this. Paul said for you to be the man of God that God would have you to be, there are certain qualities, there are certain virtues that you must always be pursuing. He said righteousness. You should be always pursuing righteousness. That means living a good life. That means being godly. That means being honest. That means being pure, living a pure life inside, outside, in private, in public, pursuing righteousness. 
a good life, a godly life, an honest life, a pure life. Then he said godliness, running, pursuing after godliness. That refers to a holy life characterized by worship and service and devotion to God. We should be pursuing faith, Paul said. That refers to loyalty and commitment. It's actually the word for faithfulness. Loyalty, commitment. The man of God is loyal to God. He is committed to God. He is committed to the things of God and the purposes of God. Paul said we're to be pursuing love. That's agape love. The man of God is characterized by love. He loves God. He loves God's people. He loves the lost. If you want to be the man of God that God would have you to be, you must be a man of love. Love should characterize your life. A good love, a godly love, a love for God, a love for the people of God, a love for the lost. Paul said to be the man of God you would, that God would have you to be, you should always be pursuing perseverance. That means that the man of God is not a quitter. Don't ever be a used to be. Sometimes you'll be talking to somebody and they'll be referring to somebody else, and not in a critical way, but they'll make this statement. You know, they used to come to church. They used to sing in the choir. They used to teach Sunday school. They used to give. They used to be active. But they don't do that any longer. They are a used to be. Well, the man of God is not a quitter. The man of God is not going to quit on God. And the man of God is not going to quit on the church. And the man of God is not going to quit on his service. And the man of God is going to be loyal to God and committed to God. And he is not going to quit. How many men of God have quit on God? How many men who were at one time active and involved no longer? Man, don't quit on God. Don't quit on God. Pursue perseverance. And the last thing that Paul mentioned was gentleness. Now, men want to be manly men. <laughs> you know, we want to be men. You know, we want to walk around like this. We want to be men. We want the world to know we're men. And so gentleness, what kind of manly thing is that to pursue? Well, this refers to humility. Here's what I've discovered. Here's another axiom. Something that is true and always true. The closer a person walks with God, the more humble they become. The closer a person walks with God, the more humble they become. I've met some great men of God. I was in seminary and I had world-class scholars, Greek, Hebrew. They were textbooks. They were world-class scholars. And I was amazed. As I would sit in their classrooms and I would talk with them, I was amazed at one thing. Their humility. They were just humble people before the Lord. And their humility was not a contrived kind of thing. It was a real thing. That's who they were. Gentleness refers to humility. The man of God does not seek to build himself up. He doesn't seek to draw attention to himself or promote himself. 
The man of God seeks to bless others, to encourage others, to build up others. The man of God seeks to give all honor and all glory to God. <laughs> That's humility. And Paul said, look, if you want to be the man of God that God wants you to be, there's some things you've got to be always running from, and there's some things you must always be running after. And finally, the man of God is a man that God can use to change the world. You see, Paul was writing these things to Timothy because he wanted Timothy to be a man, the man of God that God could use. Because Paul knew his days were numbered. He knew he wasn't going to last much longer. He knew that eventually he would lose his life for the cause of Christ. He knew that the kingdom of God and the church needed Timothy to step forward and be a man of God, a man that God could use. He knew he would soon be off the scene. And he said, Timothy, we need you. You're needed. The kingdom of God needs you. You need to be the man of God that God would have you to be. Because the kingdom of God in this world needs you. The churches need you. Today, more than ever, our churches, our world, our families, our homes need men to step forward and be the men of God that God would have them to be. Men that God could use to change the world. God's not going to use some unsaved, ungodly politician to change the world. God's not going to use people who hate Him and reject Him to change the world for that which is good and godly. But God will take somebody like you and somebody like me and He will use us as committed men of God to change the world. To be the men of God that God would have them to be. Some men need to repent and get right with God. Some men have backslidden from the Lord. They compromise their faith. They've allowed their life to become corrupted by sin. They become lazy and indifferent and apathetic and dominant in their Christian life. Dormant in their Christian life. God can't use them in that condition until they get right with Him. You see, our world is full of all kinds of worldly men. Men who are caught up and consumed by the things of this world. But now more than ever, our homes, our churches, our communities, our country need true men of God. And so Paul challenges Timothy. Timothy, be the man of God that God would have you to be. So what does it take to be a man of God? You need to be saved, spirit-filled, man of prayer, man of the word of the Bible, man who worships God, man who loves the church, man who is seeking a holy life. God can take a man like that. God can, God can take a man like that and he can change the world. And so I would encourage all of our men today with this challenge. Let us be the men of God that God would have us to be. Becoming a man of God begins when you receive Jesus Christ 
as your Savior and Lord. I did that many years ago. God was so good to save me and change me and change my life and who I am and the course of my life and the direction of my life. He changed me. And I pray that my life has made a difference in my family and in, in, in this world. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I would challenge you, urge you, and, and call on you today to give your life to Christ today. Let your new journey begin. Let your new journey begin. Let your new life begin. Your new life now. It'll be a life of challenges. It'll be a life of, of things you'll have to face and things you'll have to deal with, but it'll be the greatest life you can ever live. A life connected with God, a saved soul, and a committed life. I encourage you to come to Christ today. Thank you for joining us for our program today. Truth For Life with pastor-teacher Chris Hall is a presentation of Hall Sports Communications. To contact us, you can send an email to chrishall71 at hotmail.com. That's chrishall71 at hotmail.com. Be sure to join us for our next program. Until then, stay safe and may God bless you.